Our next retreat is finally here. It's called Adventures in Energetics, and it's happening November 8th to the 14th, 2024 in Boquete, Panama. This seven-day, six-night retreat in the beautiful cloud forest of Panama is going to be a unique experience. This program is a not-for-beginners retreat. And what I mean by that is you will actually have to fill out an application before you will be accepted to be able to register for the program because we are going to be doing more advanced level energetics and I need to make sure that everybody who comes is actually ready for the work. We will be doing a Kundalini awakening. We will be doing group visioning process called a spiritual canoe. We will be doing daily presence practices and working on expanding our energy. We will be doing daily rituals. This process will be related to specifically the people who are there because in addition to filling out the questionnaire about what your experience is, you're also gonna ask for what it is that you'd like to learn. So part of the curriculum for this is set and part of it will be designed around the desires of the participants. I only have 20 beds available for this retreat, so it will fill up quickly. So this is the time to register. Do not wait. To find out more, go to kellysparta.com forward slash retreat. I look forward to seeing you there. Another blood red sunset and yet another moon face and still another hundred miles to my next resting place. Driving down the road, eyes on the horizon, within my car I'm all but feeling good and feeling strong Knowing that this path I'm on brings me to myself I'm driving Hey now all, this is the spirit doctor, Kelly Sparta, and you are listening to Spirit Sherpa, the show that helps and encourages you on your journey to unlock your magic mojo. Joey got stuck at work, so today it is just me and Kathy. And since Kathy's here, you know it's going to be a mythology episode. Welcome, Kathy. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> oh, God, it's a punchy day. Yes, it is. <laughs> I've been working since 8 a.m. <laughs> and it's 7 o'clock at night. You're getting cartoon, Kelly. Aren't you excited? <laughs> I didn't say the Wicked Witch of the West. <laughs> How is it I always get the Wicked Witch of the West? <laughs> I don't know how that happens. It's always, always, I, I always get it. I actually had somebody give me a shirt said, shirt once that said, don't make me get my flying monkeys. <laughs> oh, no. I must earn it. I don't know how I'll earn it, but I must. Okay. All right. Enough about the Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz. Yeah. We're going to do it. Yeah. We're going to have that conversation today. No, enough about the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> we're going to talk about the divine and God and goddess, the divine couple. Um, and we we had a conversation, uh, what was that, yesterday morning about yes. what we were going to talk about tonight. Uh, the days are blurring together. But, uh, you know, there were many different ways that we could have approached this. And lots of different options for you know, ways to engage with this particular topic, because there are so many different mythologies and traditions that, that exist. And we could have picked one and gone with it. But no, it's us. We yes. live to cross pollinate. 
So we decided to do them all at once. Why not? Of course. Of course. Of course. So the So go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say in the in the shamanic tradition in which I was sort of introduced to magic, okay, um the the framework is um they have mother and father as the first two entities, and mother corresponds to earth and form and vessel, and of course mother. Um, and father corresponds to fire and energy and power, and of course father. And so in that tradition, the feminine is the vessel or the form that lovingly holds that which is life force energy. So when form and life force come together, you have that level of creation so that the divine couple comes together to create. But she is form and he is life force in that tradition. But that's not everybody's tradition. No. However... It is Hindu tradition, which is very interesting. We talked about that. We also said that um, that while it is Hindu tradition, they also have um, the lines are not quite as clear as the way I learned them. Yeah, in Indian tradition, or Hin- I should say Hindu tradition, the uh, there there's a creation story about there being six gods and one goddess to create the earth. And that the gods wanted to create the earth, but they couldn't do it without the goddess. And that is because in that culture, the masculine is spirit. And that which continues on uh, even after death, right? And the feminine is the physical body and the embodiment. uh, And therefore, you can't create a physical world without the aspect of physical embodiment, which is the feminine. Um, And, you know, we're going to talk about this. So I always, I always hesitate to use masculine and feminine because I did a a presentation once on Tantra at a, uh, at, at some event in Cambridge, Massachusetts and some Cambridgean, Cambridgean women decided to, descend upon it and start talking to me about PC-ness and, and the designation of masculine and feminine qualities and traits. And you know me, I was having none of it. So <laughs> I told them that they were welcome to have their own discussion somewhere else, but that I was going to be discussing Tantra and they could either get on board or get out. And so they got out, but <laughs> But nonetheless, I always expect somebody to be like going, oh, you can't say that the masculine is only this way and the feminine is only that way. And and the fact is, I'm not the one saying it, right? Every culture has its own concept of masculine and feminine properties. And some of those overlap and some of them don't. And when we talk about the divine couple, we have to look at the masculine and the feminine. And that's really what we're talking about here. We're not really so much talking about specific deities as it is that we are talking about how the masculine and the feminine work together within any given tradition, right? So, Kathy, you were talking to me about uh, the Judeo tradition, was it? Yes, that um, uh, the uh, the divine feminine in um, the ancient Hebrew culture was the Ruach, or the breath of God. Not the embodied form, but literally the breath 
and that the the divine feminine was the breath of God, and that was how God became infused into the body, was through the breath, through the feminine, which was why traditionally, although that has changed with adoptions and things along that line, but traditionally, in order to be Jewish, you needed to be born of a Jewish mother, because the divine feminine was how the the life force, that connection to God passed from one generation to the next. Yeah. And, and while we were doing our research for this, uh, I was looking up what I had always understood uh, to be masculine and feminine in Native American cultures. And obviously, I want to be very clear that that there is no Native American culture. There are many different tribes and they all have their own belief structures. But uh, the the Lakota and the, oh, there's another one. I can't remember the other tribe, but they, they use uh, Wankantanka. And that is translated differently depending on where you look. But it, it often can mean great spirit and great mystery. And I always heard great spirit and great mystery as being masculine and feminine. And uh, when I was doing my research, I found out that that's not really true, that they're both the same thing in in that uh, culture. And so it, it makes sense when you think about how uh, that culture exists and the, the parity that existed between or exists between male and female in the culture. And so, you know, a lot of these things, what you have to keep in mind is that as we look at the, uh, the mythologies of the different cultures and how they see masculine and feminine, we also have to take into account how the cultures themselves deal with men and women. Is a matriarchal society? Is it a patriarchal society? Are, are the two sides relatively equal in measure and, and but having, having slightly differing responsibilities, uh, as in many Native American tribes? Or are they vastly different, right? Is there one in more power than the other, right? There's also um, not everybody polarizes it into masculine and feminine. Right. I mean, I remember from some of my research when I was doing my doctorate that um, some of the tribes in Africa had many more gender terms than just specifically related to male, female, masculine, feminine. And it had to do with a role that that individual or that energy was um, envisioned or the role they played in the tribe. You know, for example, the the sister, um, if a, if a man was married and had a wife and child and he died, the sister of the man could step in and care for the mother and the child and she took on the a, a more masculine gender label because of the role she stepped into. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I I was um, I was in Cambridge and I saw uh, a documentary about gender and uh, Native, certain Native American cultures, and there were actually six different genders in some of these cultures, and they took into account homosexuality, they took into account transgender, they took into account leanings, and it was very interesting. Um, and hermaphrodites, who were considered very sacred, the two-souled. Yeah, two-souled, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And so, you know, these sorts of, of things all play into the mythologies and how the masculine and the feminine are seen or whether they're seen as just masculine and feminine um, in, within any cultural reference. And so as you're doing your work, you want to pay attention to these things because it's important to understand the underlying mythological reference and cultural reference that you're, you're operating within in order to be able to adequately and accurately represent that within any energetic working that you're doing. And, you know, because, again, what you're doing when you do this kind of work is that you're tapping into the morphic field of that culture's definitions. And so as you're tapping into the energetic field, you have to recognize that these things are all coming into play. And so you want to know what they are so that you're not accidentally invoking stuff you don't want. That would be very bad. That would be bad. We try not to do that. Yes. No. Yeah. yeah. So, but, you know, it's also important to understand when you're studying something that you do need to study with an understanding and an eye to what that belief structure is. So, for instance, uh, with the Tantra class that I had been teaching, Tantra is a Tibetan tradition that has a lot of foundations in Hindu culture. And the masculine and the feminine are very clearly defined. And, you know, these girls came in and were trying to ask me to change the, the languaging. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that. And they're like, well, but it's not. I'm like, look, it, it, it has nothing to do with PC-ness. It has nothing to do with anything else. It's I am teaching a concept that if people in this class want to go and research, they will need to understand the concept with the definitions that were, it, it were part of the tradition. Because if they want to go and learn more about it later, then they need to be able to go and learn more about it later. And if I change the words, they're not going to understand how it relates to anything I said. So sometimes we hold on to a tradition, even if it's out of date, culturally speaking, because we want to have an access point to the past. You can look at it and say, yes, I understand these are culturally not relevant today. However, if you want to understand this practice, then you need to understand how these things were defined. Then you can look at the practice and then you can translate it back for yourself into modern day terms in order to uh, make it more practicable. And so, you know, there's a lot of uh, that happens with this, right? Uh, and, and, and it's so interesting because just 10 years ago, if I had had this conversation um, if you and I had had this conversation, we would have had a very different conversation. And it's something that I've been realizing over the last, I don't know, several months. I've been, I've been binge watching some old TV shows. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and, and these aren't very old. You know, some of these are not very old. And I'm looking at them going, oh, my God, they didn't just say that. <laughs> and I'm, it's making me realize how much change has happened in the culture around gender roles and gender stereotypes and, and what is and isn't appropriate anymore. Um, as we look at the divine couple, as we look at gender dynamics, we want to take these things into account. And I think the, the point of the god and the goddess is that they are attached to history and to mystery and they were archetypes of things that arose from the culture um you know they uh they saw 
women as giving birth. And so the earth became the life giver because the crops came from the earth and animals came from the earth. And so in some cultures that became a more feminine orientation. And then if you wanted to worship that, okay, well then, you know, you got the figures like Venus de Willendorf, right? You know, that looks kind of like the earth. Um, so the, the fecundity of, um, because this is people trying to gain some sort of uh, concept of ability to influence or control that over which their lives depended. You know, if they didn't have crops, they didn't survive. So if they were worshiping, if they were making offerings, if they were doing things to these entities, um, then basically they were hopefully going to be blessed by them and not only survive, but thrive. And so the, um, I got, and so we, to a certain extent, to anthropomorphize these energies into what we saw on a daily basis, right? This is, this is the, this, you know, the male God, the female goddess. Um, I remember getting in trouble in Sunday school because, of course I did, um, because I asked when dinosaurs roamed the earth, did God look like a dinosaur? I was just a little kid, but it got me kicked out. (laughs) (laughs) I, I think it's an excellent question. It's a fantastic question. It's a super intelligent question. And you got kicked out because they didn't know the answer. That's, that's why, because they knew that God made man in his own image. And therefore God made dinosaurs in his own image. Does God look like all of the animals and man? Does God, is God a chimera, a shapeshifter? But it it comes back to gods and goddesses in particularly ancient um, traditions were part of um, pouring energy. If you think of, if you put enough energy into something, it kind of becomes real, right? We've talked about the energy and how energy creates reality. And so if you have hundreds, thousands, you know, of people, millions, even in modern days, pouring energy into an archetype, into a God form or into a goddess form, even if it wasn't real before, it's going to become real because of all that worship, all that energy that's being given over to it in the form of prayers, offerings, um, requests, you know, power. I mean, we all have power. We give over our power to something else. It has that power to use, whether that's another person or a god form or a goddess form. You got to know that that uh, Hogwarts exists because everybody's claiming their house. <laughs> <laughs> Energetically, Hogwarts exists. It does. You know, we create a lot of this stuff, which is, uh, and, and, you know, there are a lot of people probably be unhappy with me by saying, what do you mean? You know, aren't these things real? And I'm like, of course they're real. You know, um, they're real because we made them real. Um, and do I believe that there's some ineffable all that's beyond all that? Yes. But do I believe that that ineffable all specifically looks like, you know, me or somebody else, you know, that, that has an anthropomorphized, um, process yeah i got a i got a problem with that so you know more hate mail <laughs> <laughs> we don't get a lot of hate mail oh, most goody. people just unsubscribe and i'm perfectly happy for that you know okay. but i'm just you know, those of us who the, those of you who still stick around you know you're our peeps and we're yours it's all good yeah but the <laughs> to me the ineffable all is unconditional love and that's not gendered 
you know, that's not a god or a goddess. And the, the place where I see the beauty of the divine couple coming together is when those archetypes, when those forms, when the god and the goddess come together, and in their union, what emerges is unconditional love. Because that's really, to me, the creation of the divine in that moment. Yes. And, and that's true regardless of whether the gender of the people involved is masculine and feminine or not. You know, you can have a homosexual couple embodying the masculine and feminine and have the active union just as easily as in a heterosexual couple, right? Um, you can, and this is the ultimate alchemy, right? The ultimate alchemy is to bring that internally and to have you work internally on balancing your own inner masculine and feminine. And this is where my mythology comes in, where I talk about the masculine being from the heart, sh- the heart chakra up. And that's the process of stripping away, stripping away, stripping away until you become nothing and you become one with everything. And then the feminine is from the heart chakra down. And that's the, ac- the, the process of accepting and receiving, accepting and receiving until you become everything and become one with everything. And that the act of enlightenment is to do both at the same time and have it not be a paradox. Which you have to transcend in order to have that perception. Because as long as you stay with the paradox, you're stuck. Correct. Yep. That's a Zen Cohen uh, explained right there. So. <laughs> to break the mold yeah so but yeah this is the thing is that ultimately we are looking to balance the masculine and the feminine within we're looking to uh in in the tantric tradition the feminine is the liquid the 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 lacking of form right and the masculine holds the container so the masculine holds the container that the feminine may melt into it and be held within this strong container. And if the container cracks, then the feminine will freeze in order to not leak out of the container. And you know this is this is a um, this is basically what happens is if you're If you're holding the masculine and you're not holding it well, you can expect your partner to freeze you out because they have to freeze in order to not not seep out of the container. And so, you know, the the idea internally is that we hold a container for ourselves. And this is uh, this is, in fact, what we do in the the second part of uh, the series that that I run here, which first one's inner peace and finding emotional safety. The second part is mastering spiritual evolution, which is solidifying your energetic container, right? And so when you do that piece where you solidify your energetic container and you heal up all the holes and the tears that have come from, from doing damage to yourself over the years, that's when now you have the ability to stop being cold and icy, and to let yourself turn into liquid and have your emotions again and open up and allow intimacy to happen both within yourself and with others because your container is solid enough to hold your inner feminine. And that's where this balance becomes so beautiful, right? Because when that 
container is solid and the inner feminine can melt, that's when we can actually go in and do our shadow work and and be with ourselves and learn to love ourselves and learn to love others and learn to receive love from others. This is where that inner alchemy comes into play. And it isn't always that the act of creation has to do with the divine masculine and feminine coming together, however that's looked at. I mean, look at Athena, right? She sprang from the forehead of Zeus, okay? This is, you know, burst from the mind of Zeus. And although Athena is a a feminine, she's a goddess, she's also a warrior goddess, as well as a goddess of wisdom, very heady. And then you've got Anat. Anat is a Middle Eastern goddess, and she is a berserker goddess, and the gods and the goddesses have to keep an eye on her because if she goes off, she'll destroy everything they've, they've created. And so they have to get her drunk so she'll pass out, so she'll stop killing. <laughs> so I the, love traditions. <laughs> yes, they're, they're very entertaining. So the, um, it, it's like the forms are as diverse as we are. Yeah. Yeah. And and the more you do research into mythology, the more you will discover that there are there are mythologies out there, gods, goddesses, elementals, you know, fae, they're all across the board. There are so many that it, it I I would dare say it's next to impossible to learn them all. Because every tradition has their own, and there are many, many, many that existed in old, older times, and have we've lost almost all reference to them except a word or name here or there. And so, you know, just like our culture is constantly evolving new cultural constructs and new mythologies like Harry Potter, like Lord of the Rings, right? Like Star Wars, Star Trek. These are, these are mythologies. These are modern day mythologies. They will continue to evolve. And that's, that's just how it is. And I go back to what I said before about, um, we are the products of our own creation. And when we are anthropomorphizing and externalizing our power onto things greater than ourselves, they can't help but do anything other than reflect us because that's how they are created. That's where the energy comes from. Um, And when we are at our best, they reflect our best. And when we aren't, they reflect that too. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That's why I love Mamma Mia so much because, you know, uh, Aphrodite is so vain and there's a scene in the movie where where they're sitting there trying to you know comfort Donna and and the other two are just sitting there primping and doing their makeup and looking in the mirror and it's like oh that's so Aphrodite (laughs) because you know that's just the nature of of who she is as a goddess and so this is again it's another way of looking at how we accept ourselves right to, you can't deny the vanity in Aphrodite and expect to get the fullness of Aphrodite's power, right? Because you have to accept her for all of who she is, just like you have to accept yourself for all of who you are. And so when we look at the divine couple, we're looking at accepting all of ourselves as well as recognizing the the union of the divine couple 
and the, the space of union between them, which is profound. The, the lovely thing about the divine union and the reason that there's a certain amount of polarization to it is because there's a certain amount of magnetism that comes from that polarization, a certain amount of attraction to other, you know, to, to that which is different, that which is other than myself. Um, if I, in the example you gave with Tantra, if I am liquid, I seek, you know, form. And in the example that I work with, um, if I am form, I seek life force. Okay. You know, I, I want the experience of animation to be other than at rest as form. And if I am animation, you know, if I am the life force, then I seek um, embodiment so that I can experience what it is to be embodied. So there's a, there's a magnetism that comes out of the divine couple in that sense. And again, it's, it's not necessarily about, you know, what bits and parts do you have versus, you know, what bits and parts do I have? Um, it has to do with um, that magnetism that comes from a sense of completion. And it, there's healthy completion and there's unhealthy completion. You know, when you're looking for somebody to fix you, then you plug together in a certain kind of way. And there's attraction there. But if anybody manages to do any healing or growing, that relationship falls apart because the reason you plug together isn't there anymore. But if you can come together with a sense of um, synchronicity, you know, that we are more than the sum of our individual selves and that when we come together, something new and and amazing and powerful and attractive is created, that's the divine couple. That's the, the union. For I am divided for love's sake, for the sake of reunion. And I think that's a great place to call it good. So with that, do you have a... Uh, I'm going to give you the moment to be able to give a Kellyism, <laughs> be a Kathyism for the day. Do you have a Kathyism to sort of wrap this up? My belief is that unconditional love underlies all of creation. And that when, that the embodiment of this union, of this couple, of the divine pursuing mythology, growth, all the rest of that, that it anchors in our ability first to love ourselves. And the more healing work we can do around loving ourselves, the greater the opportunity to step into the world um, not only in a loving way for ourselves, but to make those connections to find the gods, the goddesses, the the mythoses, the the pathways that lead to our own enlightenment. That the the underlying energy is love. So, to sum up, unconditional love is the path to enlightenment. Yes. All right, that's a great place to to end. And that's all we have for this week. Tune in next time when I share another episode on energy magic and the spirit world. I'm Kelly Sparta here with Kathy Shiren, and you have been listening to Spirit Sherpa. So long, everyone. Bye-bye.
condition. Each mile I travel over 13,000 miles. Spirit Trippa is the sole property of Kelly Sparta Enterprises and is distributed under a Creative Commons BY-NC-ND 4.0 license. For more information about this licensing, please go to www.creativecommons.org. Any requests for deviations to this licensing should be sent to kelly at kellysparta.com. To sign up for or get more information on the programs, offerings, and services referenced in this episode, please go to www.kellysparta.com. This episode of Spirit Sherpa has been produced by Honu Voice Productions with post-production by Christopher Wright. Into my home and my love and my life and me. Are you waking up to the spiritual world and realizing that you have no idea what you're doing? But you feel like you kind of probably should, especially since you seem to be seeing things and feeling things and having things see you that maybe aren't so great and that you might want to actually control your experience of that. Well, I have great news for you because our Welcome to the Woo program does just that for you. It teaches you how to hold your energy field, manage your energy field, clear your energy field, protect your energy field, and learn how to protect your space And you learn how to do basic divination and talk to your guides so that you feel like you actually have a clue and have a way to talk to the guides that will help you to figure everything else out. And it teaches you how to make sure that you feel mentally, emotionally, and energetically safe. That means that we also deal with things like fear and anxiety and worry and dread and self-doubt and inner and outer judgments. And we help you build a foundation of self-support and courage. All of these things together create a solid sense of safety in your own life. They will reduce your stress levels in half guaranteed. So visit the website at kellysparta.com and find out more about the Welcome to the Woo program. Your future awaits.